so much great Advertising Week content, so little time. Snackable AI is now helping you navigate podcasts like this one, event sessions, and other content with chapters, topic tags, and more. Find the insights that matter to you faster than ever before. Learn more at snackable.ai. Welcome to Great Minds, and our guest today is the founder and CEO of Catch and Release, Annalisa Gooden. Annalisa is doing some really interesting stuff. This is going to be a little bit of a different conversation for us, and you have an incredible mission around licensing the internet, which is an awfully bold statement, and we're going to tear that apart and build it back up again together, Annalisa, but it's a real pleasure to talk to you, so welcome. Thank you, Matt. It's great to be here. So, Annalisa, you have a really interesting, varied background. I think if we were uh, going to uh, adopt you at the North Shore Animal League, you would be one of these dogs that no one's exactly quite sure what breed you are. Um, (laughs) Thank you. you. (laughs) uh, Yeah, listen, I would say the same about me. And uh, you have West Coast uh, roots in the Bay Area and uh, went to some a great, great school out there. And then your first gigs initially were in production. Um, so I'd love to start there and how those early gigs, you work for some terrific companies, some of which are still around, some of which are not, but I'd love to talk about how that initial work in production and really being in the engine room gave you a foundation for what was to follow. Yeah, definitely, and it definitely did. And it was an engine, right? It definitely did feel like uh, we were on this these crazy deadlines, building towards something, launching it, and then back to the ground again to do the whole thing all over again. Um, it was really a great time. I had just gotten out of art school. I was a fine artist. I was on my way to, to get a master's degree in art theory. I was very interested. I wasn't sure quite where I wanted to take my career, whether I wanted to pursue a career as a fine artist, whether I wanted to become an art writer. Um, or a curator and production really exposed me to some just really interesting communities of people and some activities that captured my interest and curiosity and still to this day do. And so that actually became the, the decision I made was to stay in that world. Um, I started working in production as a researcher. I was called in by an executive producer one day. She, she, knew, she knew me, she and I knew each other. And she said, you're creative. We're working on a project right now and we're looking for some imagery we can use for a matte painting. Do you remember what a matte painting is? Yes. Like this sort of stitched together, right? So they were gonna do this really interesting, they had this really interesting concept for Wolverine where they were going to shoot um, construction men in a quarry wearing like all the really like heavy duty gear. And then they were gonna pan out powers of 10 style all the way to like infinity. They weren't going to obviously shoot that really super wide shot. So my task was go find that wide shot that's high enough resolution that they can push in on it and match it to the the shots they were shooting. I loved that challenge. Creatively, it was super interesting. The creatives had really specific ideas in their head of what that had to be, what the texture had to be, the color, the time of day. There were all these really specific technical requirements. And they said, just go, go look. And I didn't know anything about 
doing this. I knew how to spot a good shot. I knew how to interpret a brief, but I didn't know any of the mechanics. I didn't know what the timelines were going to be or the budgets. I didn't know anything about licensing. So I just went to the internet. I started on Flickr and Google images and just started downloading incredible shots that I thought met the need and worked with the creative team back and forth. And they found, we found one that they loved. And then the producer came to my desk and said, all right, great. We got the shot. How much is it going to be? And do we have the releases that we need? And I looked at her like a deer in headlights, no idea. I'd found it on the internet. I mean, I didn't know who shoot, who shot it. I didn't know where they were in the world. I didn't know if it was theirs. There were so many questions that came after that. And I was, I kind of had this, the urgency of wanting to tell the creative team, yes. So it was just such an interesting first project. We ended up getting the license that we needed, but it was, you know, I spent two or three days sweating and reaching out to people on the internet, blindly hoping that someone would see my message and come back and say, sure, that's mine. I'd be happy to license it for a fee. And that job turned into the next one, turned into the next one, turned into the next one. And along the way, I just, I developed a process for how to clear and license content from the internet. And as, as the appetite for this content was growing, there was no tool, there were no, there was no process, there was no protocol for how to do it. And that just really fascinated me. And I saw just tons of opportunity in the production industry against really tight deadlines and tight budgets to use this stuff. And I was this kind of funny specialist that was able to, to get it licensed. So you come up with this uh, niche and say, hey, there's an opportunity here. Uh, there's no real pathway for this. And I think I can create one. You also have this dual role working in production. I know you had a tenure at one of my favorite agencies, uh, Goodby Silverstein and Partners, and a sort of uh, a curatorial savant. I think that's a, a fair characterization. Talk about the evolution of that thinking, anything that was germane from your tenure uh, in Goodby. And I'd also love to touch on, Annalisa, some of the players that were around then. You mentioned Flickr. There were so many great brands who were sort of the early players, uh, most of whom didn't make it. Um, so I'd love to get your reflections on those. Totally. So I kind of cut my teeth in these scrappy but hot production studios in the city and you know had a lot of success had a lot of failure learned a ton from over promising you know the like content that i was putting in front of my creative team and learning how to navigate and and really anticipate whether or not a photographer or a filmmaker on the other side of a shot i found on the internet would be willing to license i started to predict whether or not they would or wouldn't based on based on information I was able to, to glean. Sometimes I was right, sometimes I was wrong. So then I was able to develop sort of a confidence score for myself. So I, I kind of cut my teeth and cut the whole process on the, on the production floor. And then I got a call from Goodby. Um, and this is where the, the opportunity really felt massive to me because Goodby was working on a, a campaign for Sprint at the time, it was called All Together Now. And they wanted to create like 300 ads for the next nine months using only content found on the internet. They really wanted like meme content. They wanted stuff that the community of, of internet goers would be familiar with. So, so some of it was well known, some of it was becoming well known, but either way it had to all be found and licensed from the web. So we had 60, 70 people involved in that project. We did weekly stand-ups with the creative team, the account team, the production team, the business affairs team, everybody. So I really was in the belly of the beast there. 
And um, at the time we had Flickr, we had, um, we had uh, Twitter had just launched, um, Vimeo and YouTube were launched, Instagram, not yet. Um, the iPhone had launched, uh, but it was still pretty early in the, in the quality of that content. So a lot of the creatives in the industry at the time were a bit dubious of con the quality of content coming off the internet. The best cameras were the 5D Mark II from Canon. That was a pretty well-priced for a prosumer. Um, so I would do searches where I would use Canon 5D in my search term to, to guarantee that I was generating results that had a certain quality expectation. GoPro was the same. That isn't an issue now. I mean, th that's certainly not an issue now. We have cameras getting better and better in our pocket. Uh, but at that time, it was, it was a concern. Um, so it just added another variable to the search. It added another another constraint to the brief, which I think is so fun because the internet's so freaking big. It's massive, right? It's a different internet right now than when you and I first started this conversation. So there's no shortage of content. It's just a matter of how do you how do you get to it? I just love that puzzle. But Goodby really showed me not only what it was like to really kind of fuel great ideas. I mean, that was a really great place to be to learn what it took and what people would go through to get a great idea made. But it was also just showed me the scale opportunity. I knew how big of a job this was it's for this campaign we were working on with Sprint, but I was curious, like, what was Sprint then doing internally? Sprint has other agencies. They have other people working on their behalf. How are they navigating all this content? I can't, I'm only one person. I had a, I built a small team at Goodby, but that's just people. We needed tools. And I was intimate with the creative team, the production team, the business affairs team, the account team. I knew what all these stakeholders needed. And I, I just started really thinking about whether or not what I was building, this process I was building, whether or not really that was going to be in the form of a, of a tool someday. And then I got a call from the Chevy team, it could be. And I said, hey, you heard of what you're doing over at Sprint. Can you come take a look at this? And we worked on a, I helped them with a Chevy Centennial spot that Lance Accord was directing. And then the MX team called and said, hey, heard what you did at Sprint and at Goodby, can you, uh, and Chevy, can you come take a look at what we're doing? So it just was, to me, it, what opened my eyes at Goodby was, wow, this is a core piece of functionality. It's like plumbing that's missing from the agency process. As the internet's growing and then Instagram's coming into play and, and TikTok comes into play, like, if it, and then there's no, it's not going to stop. That's going to continue. Um, what are we going to do about it? How do we create the liquidity of all this content? How do we create an opportunity for creators of this content to, to, to see value from what they've created by the world's best storytellers? And I, I uh, had an opportunity to stay on at Goodby and I decided to instead shop myself up and down Market Street in San Francisco and go into every agency I could, Venables, McCann, um, Butcher Shop, uh, a bunch, Eleven, Inc. and kind of beta tested this idea, I gave it a name. And then I said, okay, this is catch and release. This is what we do. We're licensing the internet. We've got a process. We figured out all this stuff. Is that interesting? And enough people said, yeah, can you start on something tomorrow? Or man, I wish I knew about you last week, or we're about to do, we're about to do a rip. Can you do those? Like there was just so much. So I thought, okay, this is, this is a thing. I need to, I need to stop everything and do this. So, Let's break it down because you said a lot and I want to make sure I'm following it right. So you develop this sort of niche skill set in being able to navigate the internet and find specific pieces of content 
and use them legally. One of the problems that we have uh, uh, of many is it's a global internet and copyright law from one place to another is not necessarily the same and respect for copyright law is not necessarily the same. When you're doing something like that for a global brand, how do you navigate that specific issue around copyright and how going forward as part of what Catch and Release does, how do you navigate it there? I think it's definitely it's it definitely is becoming more of a um, more of a focus for us as we grow. We really built this in the U.S. and built this with U.S. companies. And even though the internet, the content on the internet, we were licensing for our our clients is from anywhere in the world by nature. Um, we're licensing it within the U.S. when when it gets used in a U.S. ad. We haven't had a lot of. There hasn't been a lot of nuanced change if we're working with an agency in Amsterdam or London. Um, but I think as we grow, that's something that really becomes another variable for how we how we manage licensing is really, you know, I can picture a drop down that says, where are you based? Are you based in the U.S.? Are you based in Africa? Right. Are you based right. in Japan? And that triggers the system to to create licenses with creators based on those specifications. Gotcha. Okay. I, I think, I think I accept that answer, Annalisa. Uh, so let's talk about the origin of catch and release. You have an opportunity. You're pretty young. I'm guessing they were paying you pretty well. It could be, and you forego it, uh, or maybe not paying you as well as you might've liked, but you, <laughs> you know. but you, but you have the entrepreneur's bug that takes a, uh, very uh, ironclad stomach and steely constitution. Um, let's talk about that decision to go out on your own. Yeah, it, and you know, it was by compared to me hustling for freelance jobs, it was having a steady paycheck was did feel pretty good. I was I pinched myself when I first started a good and thought like, wow, how did I how did I get here? This is awesome. I, I get to come to work every day in this beautiful building and work with these amazing people and just learn so much about how, because one thing to work in a production environment for production companies, you're, you're that much more removed from the origin of an idea. Um, at the agency, you're really close to it, but then you're kind of removed from the client a little, right, in my, in my role. I, I, think, um, I think what enabled me to, to stop everything and do this was, I, it was sort of like uh, having an infection. I was sort of infected with this this desire to build it. And I, I I had been in the industry by the time I was at Goodby, I'd already been helping creative teams find and license content for several years. So I had looked already at the landscape. I was waiting for the stock companies to do this. I was like waiting for someone to do it. I was looking around, I was like, someone's gonna launch. I would I remember waking up every day and checking my email, waiting for the 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 news to drop that Vimeo had launched a licensing button or that you know, Getty had done something and I saw people poking, but I never saw my vision come to life. And I remember I didn't think I was going to do it at the beginning. I just knew it needed to happen. I knew the world needed it. I knew that it it had to exist, um, but I was kind of waiting for other people to do it. And then when I was at Goodby and I was thinking about leaving, I was like, well, I've waited long enough and no one else is really doing it. So I guess I'm going to. And there's something about that. I think it's a very creative leap. Right, it's bringing something into being that's never existed before is awesome. Fantastic. So this is not just a passion project, but you go out 
deal with some of the top VCs, big players, and raise close to $30 million to get this thing off the ground, which is no small feat. The ambition is, uh, is incredibly ambitious. Uh, the concept of giving brands a way to leverage found content um, and do it uh, the right way. Tell us about the origin, those early pitch meetings. Um, obviously, you were successful, um, but I'd imagine there was some skepticism and that you probably failed a little bit before you, you know, sort of got your stride and started to sprint and ultimately run. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's painful sometimes to think back on how many, I met hundreds of investors. Uh, I've, I could pull up hundreds of emails that say, you seem great, but no, thanks. Not right now. Um, so yeah, absolutely. And, and I didn't know anything about that world. That was like learning a whole new audience. I knew a lot about working in the, in the agency world. I knew how I could spot a business affairs person from a mile away and say that person walking down the hallway is a creative, that one's a producer, that one's a VA. I could, I could do that all day long. I knew the audience really, really well. But walking into a boardroom at a VC's office was a totally different animal. And so I had to kind of stumble through that a little bit at the beginning. I didn't have an, a network. I didn't know other founders or CEOs. When I wanted, decided I wanted to turn this into a product, I remember going to LinkedIn and just doing a search for engineer because I, I, I needed to figure out who I was going to hire. I didn't even know how to start that process. So it was, uh, it was certainly a learning curve at the beginning and you just, you stumble through it. You, 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 it's a trail of breadcrumbs. You meet somebody who knows someone and you get them to sit down with you for coffee and you give them the pitch. And I did that. I listened to their feedback. I honed it when the next coffee, honed it more to the next coffee. My first pitch decks were garbage. Um, but I learned from putting myself out there and hearing people say, you seem great, but this doesn't have legs yet. And here's why. Here's why I'm skeptical. A lot of it came down to the fact that invest the investor community doesn't really understand the production world. That it took a lot of education to help them understand what what the what these guys what the production world is up against and why it's so hard to to be a producer today and and um, get stuff made and how stuff gets made. They recognized the commercials. We'd had luckily I had a lot of great spots under my belt that I could point to. Some of which investors would say, "Oh yeah, I saw that," you know, or. Oh yeah, we were just yeah, we just watched the Super Bowl. But they didn't care if that spot had won a Clio. <laughs> they didn't know what that meant. Um, so I learned how to just what do they care about? How do I how do I kind of speak to this audience? And just like any other communications challenge, like how do you how do you connect with the people on the other side? And so I had to I had to learn that. I learned by stumbling at the beginning, but I always went back out. I was always went back out for the next coffee. I developed the pitch, tweaked it tried it, failed, tweaked it, tried it, failed. And then eventually um, through a bunch of tactics, through meeting other CEOs and founders who were willing to make introductions for me and give me really candid feedback, that was really helpful. And I do that now for other founders too. I try and connect and mentor other founders that are thinking about raising their first check because it's there's some things I just wouldn't have known. They had to say, no, 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 don't ever, don't ever say that. Or here's how you should respond to that question. Never, not that way, this way. So I, sometimes you just need someone to tell you. Okay, so let's, uh, let's sidetrack for a second and uh, let's make this an advice show. Okay. If you were giving one piece of advice 
to a young founder, what would it be? I think first, first is to really do a gut check on whether you're willing to like fall on the sword for the idea that you have. Because founders have a lot of different ideas. I had a lot of different opportunities. I could have built this company. I could have gone out and become a curator. I could have gone and taught fine art at a university. I could have become a fine artist. And I, I had a lot of different options. So I, I sort of had to look at all these different things and say, what am I just can't stop thinking about? And so I think if you've got that, like check yourself first. And, and if you have something that you're just, I can't stop thinking about it. And you almost, you're almost trying to like, you're almost trying to get it out of your system. You're almost trying to say like, please, not that. Like, not that. Like, to me, I was like, Vimeo is going to do it. Like, I'm going to hold on that. This is so obvious. Licensing the internet is so obvious. Someone else is going to do it. So I'm not going to, I'll keep doing my freelancing stuff, but someone else is going to build it. Right. So you almost are sort of like, if you know that you've got something really tugging at you, if you're kind of trying to like scrape it off of you, like, no, no, that's no. And then, so, so that's the first thing. My first advice would be like, make sure you're, cause you've got to be passionate about it to the core forever. Like I've, I'm in this, I've been in this business now for 15 years thinking about this and I'm just as passionate right now as I was when I first got the, got the itch. So you have to just be obsessed with the problem that you're solving and obsessed with solving that problem. It's like a puzzle. You just have to like every day, you just got to like crack, take a crack at it again. So that's the first thing. And the second thing is talk to everyone about it. Talk to everyone about it. A lot of founders are told in the early days, make sure you get an NDA signed. Don't, you know, don't sort of share too much, like share, 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 because that's where you're going to get all the feedback. That's where you're going to get somebody saying, you know what? You said this thing during this meeting. I think you need to meet with so-and-so. And that so-and-so is going to introduce you to so-and-so. And the next thing you know, you're pitching to tier one investors in Silicon Valley and like having really high level, awesome conversations about how you're going to change the world. So you just got to get out there, make sure you love what you're doing, like really are obsessed with the problem that you're solving. And it's got to be a problem, right? It's got to be a problem you really want to solve. And then um, talk about it a lot. I have a lot of friends and family who now, because we have a product in the world and catch and release is real, they look back and say, ah, I see why you were obsessing over this for so long and talking my ear off about licensing and stock and searching and, uh, but at the time, I felt a little kind of a little crazy. Like they don't want to hear me talk about this morning. Right, but 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 good crazy. Uh, great, great answer, Annalisa. So you uh, were early to the game on the rapidly evolving, let's call it the creator economy, and part of your constituency includes directors, photographers, producers entrepreneurs and just everyday people who are looking for something. Give us your take on the evolution of the creator economy, uh, which seems like a uh, unmitigated growth freight train and how catch and release rides that going forward. Cool. Um, I love that unmitigated growth freight train. Um, the creator economy really started to blossom. I think at the time that, the process for capturing content became super democratized. That's a word that the unmitigated growth freight train loves to use. Um, billions of people with high quality cameras in their pocket now wasn't the case at the beginning, but is the case now. 
Um, so that's put a lot of people on the map. And that's mixed with the virality and the distribution of that content being a really interesting space too. So that the fact that you can get, that Justin Bieber could get discovered on YouTube, right? Um, and many, many, many other examples. It's, it's interesting. So you've got the content capture happening at scale and you have the distribution and consumption of that content happening at scale. So that, I think that causes a lot of people to sort of think, Hey, I could maybe, I could maybe do something here. Maybe instead of, instead of going to college, I could become a creator or instead of doing what I thought I was going to do, I could do this instead. So I think that's how I, that's how I think the sort of universe defines the creator economy or people who identify as creators or see an opportunity for themselves as creators, capital C, in the, in the, in the world of, of content. Um, where I think it's going and the, and the universe that Catch and Release is building is that not everybody wakes up in the morning, not everybody with a high quality device that's capturing great stuff is waking up in the morning saying, I'm a creator and I'm going to do something with my work today. A lot of them are just doing other things and happen to be their participants in the creator economy, but they kind of don't even know it. I'll give you an example. When I was I was working on a, a few projects with Eleven Inc. in San Francisco, and one of the clients I was helping them with was Dignity Health. And they were working on a campaign called Human Kindness, and they wanted to license content from all over the internet that displayed moments of human kindness. We found on like page 2000 of a YouTube search, an amazing piece of footage captured by a diver of a whale shark that had swum up to these two divers while they were underwater and capturing this content on their GoPro, swimming up to them with a rope tied around its belly. One of the divers pulls a knife out, swims up to the whale, chops off the rope, Whale swims away, diver puts his fist in the air, like, yay, we did it. That was the 30 second spot. It was a minute and a half, two minute video in total. The filmmaker with his underwater GoPro just never stopped filming and it's beautiful. This filmmaker works at HP. He was on vacation. This wasn't, this is not what he set out to do in his life. He was the right place at the right time and happened to capture something amazing. But if you asked him, are you a creator? He'd say, no, I'm not a creator. So I, I think the opportunity really is to recognize the participation, the global participation of all these people who have perspective and they have stories, but they don't necessarily identify as creators. And we get to work with them all day long. We do work with DPs and we work with filmmakers and we work with photographers and we work with fine artists, but probably my favorite calls to make are the ones to people where they're like, not me. You don't mean me, right? I'm just a, I'm just a, you know, I just sell paper. I don't, or I am just a, I just, I'm just a mom. I, I just live with my kids here in Iowa, or I'm just a kid. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's so interesting. And yet the best creative teams on the planet are looking at this content and saying, that's a great shot. So I think that's really cool. Yeah. I love the campaign uh, that they, uh, Apple does with, you know, stunning photos and it simply shot on iPhone. And I remember many, many years ago, we had the filmmaker and he acts as well, Ed Burns, uh, on our stage in New York uh, as part of a seminar we were doing with the Tribeca Film Festival. Ed's been a very big Tribeca guy for years. And he talked about the evolution of technology, not only the cameras, 
but also the editing software and how all of a sudden things that were beyond the average person's reach with the Apple product Final Cut Pro and um, the Adobe uh, uh, suite of products as well, that all of a sudden anybody can be a filmmaker. Anybody, to your point today, um, can be a, a creator. You know, it's funny, you never really see folks with cameras anymore. Everyone has their phone. I would not want to be in the retail camera business anymore in a number of the places. There was a place forever right near our office on Fifth Avenue in the 30s, Willoughby's, that was there forever is now gone. You know, there are very few places left to even buy uh, what we would call a traditional camera. So you can see how, you know, technology and democratization of technology, everybody is now sort of part of your catch and release ecosystem. Absolutely. Five billion. Five billion. Great. So what's the vision going forward? You're, you've been at it now for since, I guess, 2015, 2016, going and growing. Are we looking to raise more money? Are we looking to buy something? Are we looking to develop, you know, markets outside the U.S. further? What, what's, your, what's your vision? You're a vision kind of person. What, what's the vision? And if we're doing this again in a year, what will be different about our conversation? Love this great question. Um, so the vision is to is to make the internet licensable, and we we our phrase, which we actually recently got the trademark for, which is very exciting, is license the. That's our vision is to license the internet. What that means? What what does that mean to a creative person working today? What it means is they can create at the speed of culture. They can now bring content into ideas, into campaigns, into their communications that reflects to their consumers that are going to be viewers of those campaigns and those ads, what culture looks like right now. And learn, the internet is an amazing place to learn what people care about in niche specific locations and niche specific demographics. That's gold to someone in communications. Again, it comes back to how well am I connecting with my audience? How well do I, first, how well do I understand them? And two, how well can I communicate to them? And content coming from the internet is such an amazing strategic tool because you're using people's voices and people's perspective that you're hoping to reach back to them. You're using their own voice to reach them again. So that recontextualization is super, super interesting. But again, it needs the function, the, the commercial industry needs, a, needs licensing. They need the functionality of a, commercial, of a commercial license. And that's really, really complicated. So what we're doing is we're building the licensing button for the internet. You're gonna be able to look at any piece of image, video, music, writing, art, any creative asset on the web and will enable you to license it with a button. And to the user, both the storyteller or the professional creative, as well as the creator, whether they're professional or not, it's gonna appear very simple, simple like PayPal simple. Um, but you and I both know, and a lot of the folks listening know how complicated that's actually, that is behind the scenes, how much goes into making that possible. And it's the same is true for PayPal or other seemingly simple pieces of software. Um, that's why you have, teams of engineers working on it is that it's very, very complicated behind the scenes. But that's the vision. The vision is to make that possible. And what, what that does is 
um, not only creates, I believe, millions and millions of very memorable, great spots and ads and ideas out in the world, pieces of creative in the world, it also expands massively this creator economy. It, it, create, it expands the, the, the GDP of, of, of internet creators on the, uh, on the, uh, around the world. It's, it's an incredible opportunity to maximize and put money in the pockets of people who may not have been expecting it. You could call us working in found content and you could call that found money. I love that and how another way to look at the internet and I really like the way you put it. it, it does give you a snapshot of a moment in culture and is a reflective mirror of exactly where we are uh, and in effect a visual focus group, if you will, that's real time and curated sort of for you on the web. Um, really interesting stuff. I, I, I love this conversation and I'm glad uh, that we got a chance to talk to you. Your team was wonderful in uh, putting you forward. And uh, this is one I'm glad we said yes to. Awesome, Matt. Thanks so much. It was such an honor and um, it was a great conversation. Chaptering and other structural elements for this podcast are powered by Snackable AI. With the ability to unify all content in one place, have AI distill the best insights instantaneously, and share them seamlessly, businesses on Snackable create more relevant value for their audiences faster than ever before. Learn more at snackable.ai.